This is the Hunt, Fish, and Serve podcast, hosted by Ethan Evans and Tyler Swanson. Today we're on the podcast to talk about our late season mule deer hunt in Idaho that actually just happened last week. Uh, we're going to go over why we picked Idaho, the landscape of Idaho, some people we met, as well as how we approached the hunt, lessons learned, and some of the new gear we used on the hunt. Yeah, just kind of some stories, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's it's been a while, so it'll be a nice, fresh, like, restart to get on the podcast, tell some fun stories about our Idaho hunt, what we learned, and kind of what we can take from it. Yep, so this is our uh, little background on our experience out west was that last year we went to Colorado and was on a cow elk hunt, late season, four season hunt. Quite a bit different landscape and hunt than what we did this year. Very different. Which was an Idaho mule deer hunt. So I guess the first question might be from you guys is like, you know, you got all these Western states. Why did we pick Idaho? Yeah. Cause Idaho is, I mean, that's, that's way out there from Iowa. Yeah. So I think it was from where we were at, it was like what, 23 hour drive. Yeah. About, about 23 hours, I think. Yep. So, I mean, two full days of driving at least. So, I mean, you know, it, it didn't feel that long. You go with a good buddy or someone you enjoy talking to. I mean, people think it's crazy when I tell them, Ethan, I've told them before that uh, me and you pretty much talk the whole time. They're like, what? You talk the whole time? I said, yeah, we probably only listen to like, I don't know. What do you think? Five hours worth of podcasts and music combined? Yeah, probably. Yeah. But even during that time, we're talking too. like we pause it and we <laughs> yeah. like talk and something. Well, it's half of the time we're listening to a podcast and then I think of something to say or you think of something to say. Let me pause it. And then an hour later, oh yeah, we were listening to a podcast. Yeah. So I guess, you know, to the point of like why Idaho. So we got done with our cow elk hunt last year. And as some of you know, the Idaho tags go on sale for on December 1st. So that four season runs like the week of Thanksgiving. And then we immediately had to let go. Like Idaho was a possibility because Tyler and I have both just started accumulating points out West and we didn't have a lot of points to hunt or think about drawing a good hunt. So yeah, no, we were pretty, pretty clenched for time. I mean, we didn't have, we didn't have time to think about it basically. So it was like, we want to go on a Western hunt. Idaho's our best bet. Yeah. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, it was like, we kind of saw the elk late season and we kind of wanted to keep going maybe with the late season stuff with rifles because that's kind of what we felt the most comfortable with. So we thought, let's try mule deer this year. And, you know, so Idaho, for anybody that isn't, it's kind of new to this game. We talked about it before, but like I said, it gave us the opportunity to hunt and it's completely like buy a tag. You get allocated a random number in order, you know, your random number in line. And once your number comes up, you have the opportunity to buy whatever tags are left. Lucky enough, Ty and I picked a unit that we could both get a tag because we were, I don't know what, I mean, thousands. I I think I saw 18,000 people in front of me. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the good ones went pretty quick, but the one that we had picked, we were able to get. So that's kind of why we picked Idaho to kind of give that kind of picture. And I mean, a little background too, you know, I maybe we talked about this, but um, Ethan called me up or text me or something and he's like oh we need to start this process so i'm like all right and i think i was in the library reading a book for class or something so i was like oh yeah this would be easy just get online and buy a tag 
Well, I get online and I see 18,000 people in front of me. I'm like, oh, shit. You know, pardon my French, but I was like, this is going to take a while. And I was in, I was stuck in the library. Like, I can't just bring my laptop back to my apartment because I was going to lose Wi-Fi and therefore lose my place in line. So I was stuck in the library for, gosh, I don't know how many hours waiting to buy that tag. Yeah. So that's a good lesson to learn. You better get comfy that day. Yeah. Be in a comfortable spot because you're going to be on for a while. I mean, maybe you're not, you know, maybe you get lucky, but. So a little bit of why we picked the unit too. Um, there's two big considerations we had was public land. So access and then as well as, you know, success rate. And we'll talk about this a little later in the podcast with lessons learned. But I think those numbers can be pretty skewed pretty heavily because, I mean, the unit we hunted, I think it was, was it 99% public land? Yeah, it was something like that. I mean, looking on Onyx, there was maybe one person here, one person there. But it was, I mean, I got on Onyx and I'm like, gosh, is this right? Yeah. Because there was so much public land. And, you know, and then we'll get into this as well. But like we e-scouted it too before we drew the tag and we're like, this looks like good area to hunt. Yeah. Very forested and um, from, from what we could see. And this is, this is pretty early on. And yeah, so I guess um, both of us have never really been to Idaho. I mean, I've been in a little bit of Idaho, but nothing like this area. I don't, you've never been that deep, never been that deep. And then I don't think you've been to Idaho before, right? No, I've never been to Idaho. So to kind of give a landscape of what Idaho was like, I've been fortunate enough to go to quite a few Western places now, a lot of the Western states and never really to Idaho before. And you know, what I'll say about Idaho is like, we saw it a lot. And like people saying about Idaho with like the comments and stuff, there was two words people used. It was steep and rugged. And like, I was like, you know, like how steep and rugged is it? I mean, like, I'll tell you, like it is, they were not lying when they said steep and rugged. Well, I remember you brought it up to me. You're like, Oh, this is what I've been hearing. And I'm like, all right. So I've been telling everybody, they're like, Oh, why'd you pick Idaho? And I, you know, I told them the story and I said, yeah, from what I know about it, you know, it's not as high as elevation as uh, Colorado, but it's just a little more steep. That's what I was telling everybody. That's what was on my mind. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> did we get a slap in the face once we got there? What comes the steepness and the ruggedness. I mean, there were literally some places where it was just a cliffside where there was no, like if you fell down there, you're, you're literally falling down. You're not sliding down. No. But I, what I tell everybody is we were hiking on a cliff like the entire time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was us and then a cliff. I, that's what it felt like. That's how steep it was. Yeah. I can't think of any other words to describe it. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things like I remember looking at pictures of the unit because we were in a wilderness area that a lot of people recreate in that don't hunt. So they take pictures of the area. Yeah. I, and I looked at the pictures and I was like, it doesn't look that bad. Like It looks kind of like just any other mountain, right? Well, like I said, like we were completely wrong because once we got there, I was like, this is like nothing I've ever hiked before. It was just, it was wild. I, I mean, I'm at a loss for words on how rugged this terrain was. I don't know about you, Ethan, but when I got there, I was like, can we hike this? Yeah. You know, I I really wasn't sure. Yeah. I know what you mean. And. You know, to kind of go on that point, we were kind of based on a lot of our knowledge off of what we did in Colorado. And, you know, what we did in Colorado was like, we basically got 
realistically as high as we could go. Yeah. And then we had these huge bowls to glass. And, you know, a huge area really to glass and sit there all day and pick it apart. Yep. I mean, in Idaho, you re- where we were hunting, at least, we didn't have that spot to really sit there on the ridge and glass a long ways. There wasn't really like a bowl where you'd see a lot of game. At no. It. I mean, let's give a little backstory, too. Because, I mean, we got there and I'm the northern, kind of the northeast part of our unit, maybe yeah. more eastern part of the unit. Anyways, that's, I mean, more forested area. Most of it was forested, but uh, most of it was above, I don't know, 5,500 feet elevation, something like that. So Ethan and I, the first day, we were like, oh, let's run to, and that was a little town um, on that part of the unit. Let's just go there and let's check it out. So we were, we were riding these roads and obviously it was getting worse the more and more we went up in elevation and given left this part out, given they got a snowstorm the weekend before we showed up. Um, so we get up there and these are the absolute worst roads I've ever seen in my whole life. And very narrow. I mean, they're mountain roads. I mean, and then they're mountain roads, they're narrow and then they're pushing snow. So it even makes the road more narrow. Yeah. I mean, what? lane and a half yeah exactly i don't know what they call a road out there but in <laughs> iowa it was it was a lane and a half yeah so we get up there and i don't know about you but i was like nervous we were gonna get stuck and not be able to get back out that's how crappy the roads were yeah exactly and i mean that's something i guess that's kind of like probably my biggest worry about late season hunting for us is like getting stuck in a place where we can't get out it's not like we got and when we're here like in iowa we don't got joe blow to call and say, <laughs> yeah. hey you know, pull your fucking big dodge out here and pull us out, you know. <laughs> yeah. Eric, come up with your dozer and yeah. get us out. I don't know. It was just uh, like I like I just said, I, I was at a loss for words of like this is this is where we're at. Like we're I mean, it just became very real very quickly. Yeah, you know, kind of going back to just the land and you know, we were sitting there glass and and to a certain extent, I don't know about you, but it was almost like discouraging the glass. It's like we got to this really hard spot to hike to. And it's like you glass and you're like, okay, I know over there is probably like another three mile hike to that deer, even if I saw one. And it's not like it's a flat, you know, line to that deer. Yeah. It's up, down to the side, down the steep uh, cliff side yeah. to get to that deer. So, I mean, all of that land as a crow flies. Yeah, it's not that far. I don't know, 500 yards across it. But like you said, to get, you got to go all the way around because there is no other way. Yeah. I mean, unless you're going to tumble down the mountain and then hike back up it. But yeah, because I mean, like I said, we're comparing a lot to what we did in Colorado. And like, you know, when we saw those elk that we did, you know, you took basically the straightest line you could take there because you were able to like traverse that landscape. Yeah. Where like in Idaho, like you said, like we would have to make a way smarter game plan because it's not like we could go traverse that landscape very easily or even at all. Just don't get me wrong. It is. It was possible, but. I can't say it enough. It was straight up and down. Like you could do it, but it it might take you all day to get up one one side of the mountain. Yeah. Then you just wasted a whole day of hiking. And I don't know about you, but like we talked to people and we saw one guy carrying a spike elk off the mountain and I was like, man, that's a trophy. Like that me, that's a trophy. And I, yeah. So 
I mean, let's just kind of roll this back a little bit. So we set up camp and we uh were like, all right, we're gonna hike out there tomorrow. And then we we got up in the morning and it's it's raining. And we're like, gosh dang it, you know, first day out here and it's raining. So we're hiking and we're hiking and I don't know. I, if you can be in a good mood hiking in the rain, I mean, you're a trooper because that sucked. I don't know what you thought, Ethan, but that sucked. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. I know rain happens out west, but it's like, I guess every other time I've really hiked out west, except for Washington, I've never really had to worry about rain. And then like now, of course, of all days on our first day of the hunt, it rains. So first of all, it was just kind of a downer. That's what I kind of thought. So, yes. So we get to this point and Ethan and I were like, oh, let's wait it out underneath this kind of like rock. So we're waiting under this rock and all of a sudden these guys come hiking up on us. And I think the guy, the guy was from Idaho, right? Yeah, he was from Idaho. And that's the, that's the guy that had the spike out. Yeah. So he was, he was telling us all about the unit and super nice guy. I don't think I met one, you know, dickhead out there. Super nice guy. Um, he was telling us about the area and he's like, oh yeah, telling us all about his hunts. And he's like, gosh, this is really rough terrain. And he's from the area. And he's like, oh, it's brutal. Yeah. And the guy that shot that spike elk, he had two guys with him who had deer tags. And, you know, they both came off the mountain without a deer. Yeah. And we saw a lot of people like that, I guess. So, and that was kind of our first like opinion about it. Like, you know, gosh, are there deer in here? Yeah. Cause they were, they were pretty deep in. Yeah. They were really deep in. Yep. So anyways, uh, was this the same day when we hiked up further to that glassing point? Yep. We hiked up to that point. Yep. Yeah. We met those boys from Michigan. Yep. And I think it was their first Western hunt. Yep. It was their first backcountry hunt. And you know, back to like how far we thought we drove. I think they drove like 33, 34 hours. And they only hunted two days, but you know, it was super cool. Cause like they were kind of in the same boat as us. Like they just wanted to get out, see what it was like. And I mean, for their first backcountry hunt, I mean, they did really good and they got picked in the ass. And yeah, the, I mean, we were talking to them and mutually we're like, yeah, this country, this country is brutal. And they were like, yeah, we got our ass kicked and this and that. And the best part about it was Ethan ends it with, do you come back next year? Like, not to Idaho, but Western hunting. And the one guy says, oh, fuck yeah. Yep. And that's what he told us. And I was like, gosh, I love to hear that. Yeah. And I think it was like a mutual thing too, in the sense that it was a wake up call for both of us, like for both groups. Like I think they had a wake up call and we had a wake up call and we'll kind of talk about the lessons learned, but I don't, I think it's one of those things like going out there and seeing that country, they kind of learned like, Hey, we need to be more prepared. Yeah. And uh, we had so many things to agree on when we were talking to them. Those were a real great group of guys. Um, so anyways, we, uh, we were glassing this area and especially when we were talking to that guy with that shot, that spike elk, um, you told them basically like, dude, anything in this area is a trophy because this is tough. Yep. And he was on, what did they say? He was on like a six by seven bull. On top by Dixie. Yep. They were on a six by seven bowl and we really like, yeah. And like the higher elevation area and they basically got blew off the mountain where it was like, they had to pull out because it wasn't safe for them to keep hunting in that area. 
like that's a super super nice bull yeah and they literally weren't going back because it was unsafe i mean that just justified us not being up there yeah so you know there's you know we ran into a lot of people on the hunt i'd probably say the most interesting is i mean one thing i thought that was kind of funny on the mountain was news travels pretty fast yeah like i mean there's like oh these guys from michigan are up you know another two miles up the the trail or i'm sure they're probably talking about those iowa boys are down the trail two miles and oh yeah those guides something happened to those guides are just just funny it's just like literally everyone we talked to whatever direction they were going we heard about them before we met them (laughs) yeah exactly yeah (laughs) yeah that was kind of fun so it's like like Ethan said, we talked to the guys that were from Idaho and they're like, oh, those Michigan boys are up there. And then we hiked a little further and all of a sudden we saw those, saw these guys and we're like, oh, where are you from? And they're like, oh, Michigan. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. We heard about you guys a while back. I mean, like Ethan said, that was, it was the whole way up the trail. It was kind of a, it was kind of fun. And you know, a cool group that we met were the outfitters. Um, I've never actually had too much experience with the outfitters before, like personally. No. So that was a pretty either. cool experience to kind of run into them. Super nice guys. Yeah. Super nice guys. Like they were like, they thought we were, it was sweet what we were doing. And like, they thought, oh my God, like you guys are pretty badass guys to be like walking up this mountain. <laughs> yeah. Well, the best part about it was, um, I was on top a little before you were, and I was just kind of sitting there catching my breath, um, eating lunch or eating whatever time it was having a snack. And these guys come up on horses and I was like, Oh, how's it going? And they were like, Oh, did you see those elk down there? And I said, yeah, I saw them. Wish I had a tag. And he's like, Oh, you're not hunting them. I said, no, I don't have a tag. I wish I did. And he's like, well, how far did you blow them up the mountain? And then the other guy's like, Oh, we blew them up the mountain, whatever his name was. And he's like, all right. And you know, really chumming this guy up. And he goes, you mind if I park my horses here? I think that's what he said. And I go, doesn't bother me and just super cool dudes yeah um very relatable but and then i was hiking a little further and the one guy i said oh get out of your way because he's coming up on his horse and he goes nah just walk a little bit slower just talk to him the whole time really awesome guys well that's when you heard some pretty crazy stories too yeah that's when i heard uh like Ethan said, we've been hearing these stories like literally all the way up the mountain. Every group we passed, we're like, oh, did you hear about those guys? I was talking to the guide and he said, I was talking to him about the horses. You know, I just thought it was so crazy. I mean, it was literally like some spots were like a foot wide that these horses were walking on, on the side of a cliff. That's how I describe it. And he was just like, yeah, you know, it always doesn't work out. And he was telling me that, that snowstorm that came through the weekend before we got there he said it was like 70 to 80 mile per hour winds and he's like yeah we lost a couple horses and i said lost a couple horses and he said yeah the wind blew a tree over severed a horse's head off and then knocked another one unconscious i was just mind blown like we're up here yeah and like it was funny too is the guide was like kind of shrugged it off and like i mean like i know how surprised i was and like I can't believe how surprised probably you were when you're like, holy shit, like that happens up here. You know, like it was just like, it felt like it was just another normal day thing for that guy who was outfitting that country for yeah, 20 years like, or whatever. You know, that's, that's the mountain, yeah, you know, the way of the mountain, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was telling me, he's like, yeah, client's thumb got wrapped up in the reins and ripped his thumb off. And like you said, he was all casual about it. And I'm sitting here like, what? <laughs> like, what 
is going on up here? And the whole time I'm thinking, well, at least we didn't lose a thumb on (laughs) this trip. But anyways, I was talking to him and this was when I was hiking in front of him and he's like, yeah, we lost a couple wall tents. I said, what do you mean? And he's like, well, the wind was so bad. A couple was a couple clients. They were trying to hold it down and all of a sudden the wall tent took off and the clients went four foot into the air before they let go. And then another one, the canvas collapsed and they had to cut them out of it. Can you imagine? I could not imagine. That's like absolutely crazy to even think about that. And this was the weekend before. These guys were in a pretty good mood. Yeah. And the funniest thing I think about that was like the clients were with them. Like they had clients with them, you know, they're just telling them all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And these guys, I don't think they had no idea what's (laughs) going on. Long story short, um, I let the guy go by and he goes by first. Another client goes by and then one other client, he was kind of lagging back a little bit and I was glassing this hillside and all of a sudden I heard it and I'm like, gosh, what's that? I looked to my left and the client sliding face first down the mountain. It looked like a limp body <laughs> sliding down the mountain. And I was thinking, oh my God, is this guy dead? And I told the guide, I was like, dude, one of your clients is sliding down the mountain. He, all he had to say was, are you fucking kidding me? Should have never let that guy on a horse. Not like, or are you all right? I don't know about you, but I always just had like such a, maybe a naive opinion on guided hunts where it's like nowadays it seems like those aren't just such like a here's the elk shoot them kind of thing or here's a deer shoot them kind of thing it's like man these guys are kind of going through some rough shit if you're hunting that kind of country at least yeah they're really they're really working i thought they like kind of got pampered and it was like a very easy hunt but it's like man they're still kind of working for it oh yeah i mean they they had a way (laughs) tougher season than we had (laughs) That is for sure. I just, I mean, these guys, these guys are mountain men. They're, they're tough. Yeah. I don't know how else to describe them. Yeah. I think, yeah, just tough guys with fucking big beards and burly dudes. Goes to show, you know, all those guys, like I said, none of those guys were dickheads. I mean, the one guy I was asking him like, oh, do you shoot any meal deer? And I told him, I said, I'm not looking for tips. I'm just kind of curious, you know, do you guys usually shoot meal deer? If you do, you know, are they nice bucks? And he told me he's just, you know, obviously people can say, well, he's probably lying to you. But he told me, he's like, yeah, we don't really shoot that many meal deer out of here. He said, we shoot a lot of elk, but we don't really shoot meal deer. Um, Very upfront, what I felt like, I obviously he could have been lying to me. I don't know, but. Yeah, you know, to kind of talk about like the, how nice people were, it kind of solidified to me like how cool the hunting community can be. Because I think, you know, like as us of outsiders, you know, you read the stuff on the internet forums or you ask a question or you see people's responses and it's always like, don't come to Montana. Like there's no mule deer here. Or, Everybody's going to hate you. Or don't ask the locals. They all fucking think you're dicks and for coming from out of state to hunt. And it's like, man, these past few years that we've been out of state and maybe we shouldn't be saying this, but I was like, I'm like, everybody's been super nice to us. It's not like ever been like, holy fuck, like stay in Iowa and shoot those white tails there and quit coming to here. It's like, like go back to Iowa. Everybody thinks it's awesome that we're trying it and we're out here. Yeah. I mean, trying it and at least 
being out there, I guess. I think you kind of go in that online community. I think you can kind of get a bad rap for it. But yeah. you go on something, he's like people and you meet them in person. It's like, there's a lot of nice people out there. Oh, yeah. And you're all just trying to do the same thing and be successful. Like, I'm not I'm not expecting you to tell me like, oh, yeah, there's this really super nice world class buck like right here. Drop a pen. Yep. Yeah, I just kind of want to just want some help. And I think everyone has that mutual understanding that that's how it is, or at least that's how it felt when we were out there. And I will say the one thing I think, too, is like. That's probably different than maybe if someone comes from out of state to whitetail waterfowl hunt in Iowa, because I would say it's probably an easier hunt in the sense of like physical where it's like where we were glassing that last day where we did that really hard hike. It's almost like you earned it up there and anybody who made it up there is like, all right, I give that guy so much respect for trying hard, you know? Yeah. Like he could have quit a lot sooner, but it's like that guy automatically gets a certain amount of respect that I give him because he's trying really fucking hard. Yeah. Cause I mean, I would say probably 60% of the people were on horseback and anyone, anyone who hikes up there on foot, it was round trip like there and back 10 miles uh, about 3300 feet elevation gain total uh we found out that it's pretty close to like 5700 steps so like you hike up 5700 steps um with 30 pounds of whatever on your back it's a pretty intense hike and you know you could say 5700 steps but those switchbacks they're brutal yep they were a kick in the butt yeah you know so i guess you know to kind of give a little more background how we approached the hunt um it was a late season november hunt so we used a wall tent um you know that was really comfortable but i think we kind of learned the limitations with that as far as a unit like this goes yeah i was gonna ask do you think uh do you think the wall tent kind of stabbed us in the foot almost mm. I think, you know, it was kind of, it was definitely nice to come back after that long hike in a wall tent. Oh yeah. Warm, comfy. But I think would say like a lesson learned would be like, have both ready to have like a wall tent where like late season wall tents are super nice. And like in Colorado, having a wall tent there, you know, that worked perfectly. That was perfect. (laughs) But it's not the answer to everything. It's just situational. It's a lot of situational. And there's a reason why there isn't a perfect answer to everything. So I will say like, yeah, I was was super comfortable. We were warm at night. It's nice to come back and be dry, dry stuff out. But, you know, we approached a wall tent. So we were kind of in some ways, I guess you could say road hunting and then day hiking into the areas. And like Tyler alluded to, like in an area like that in Idaho, it's kind of like shooting yourself in the foot because of the fact that you couldn't drive up the mountain to a certain access point and then hunt off that trail. There was only two really access points and one spot was basically inaccessible due to the amount of snow they had, which then pushed everybody to hunt that we're going to day hike into the same area as well as the backpackers. So it kind of made a pinch point for access. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's not, it's not that we were like, intentionally doing that it was um you know we weren't going there like oh we're just gonna wall tent because it's easier you know maybe we're being a little lazier no it was nothing like that i mean that's what we knew at the time 
we e-scouted and maybe we just, we probably do just suck at e-scouting, but I did not for a million years expect it to be like that. No. And I think with e-scouting, the more times you can go Western hunting, I think the ability e-scouting definitely gets a lot easier because you can relate the things you see in person to the things you see e-scouting. Because yeah. when you're looking at it e-scouting, you're like, oh, that's just 4,000 foot. And then that other spot's at 3,000 foot. Easy. Go right to it, you know? Yep. But then like getting there, you're like, man, a thousand foot elevation in this terrain over a quarter of a mile, let's say. I mean, like that's almost impossible. I mean, it's not impossible, but it's like it's going to take me a long time to get from here to there. Because like you said, like we looked at this access point and we're like, okay, it won't take us that long to get there. We saw yeah. the trail. But then we figure out it takes three hours to hike that when we thought maybe it only took an hour. Yeah. So I guess going into lessons learned, um, I don't know. Do you think, uh, do you think you just have to see it for yourself? I mean, as, as a beginner, I would say that, that you have to see it for yourself because you can e-scout all you want. I mean, you can 3d maps and this and that, but I don't know about you. I didn't. I looked at 3D maps at eScout and I thought it doesn't look that bad. No. You know, if we, maybe it's just because we live in Iowa, but I thought if we had to hike up to the top of that mountain, like that high point, it wouldn't be that bad. Yep. That was my opinion about it. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're going to, if we're going to stay on the topic of e-scouting, I think, you know, we get so focused in on e-scouting where we're going to hunt. I think you also got to e-scout if you're going to day hunt like we did. You have to e-scout where you're even going to access into the unit. And are those access points even going to be accessible when you want to hunt? Like you you said, I mean, lesson learned. I don't think think we would have learned a lesson like this unless we tried. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I mean, you just got to try. I... My opinion about it is you can research as much as you want. You can read forums. Think about forums is they're great. They're awesome. You know, I wouldn't do without them, but you're going to get a, an opinion from everybody because that's what it's designed to do. Yep. You know, you think different than I do, but here's what I think. You just got to get boots on the ground and figure it out, you know, and it, it might only take like two or three times to be like, oh, this is what it looked like on Onyx, Go Hunt, whatever you're using. And then this is what it looked like boots on the ground relate that information kind of use that in your future hunts to e-scout and be like, this is what it looks like on the map. This is what it actually looked like. Okay. You can kind of translate that information and be like, maybe we should run this setup or that setup wall tent versus spike camping. Yep. So, you know, another point that we're kind of going to lessons learned was, you know, public land does not equal easy access or access because the point that I'll make is that as well, I don't know how many, you know, thousands and it's probably hundreds of thousands of acres of public land. Well, that's great, but is it accessible in the sense that can you day hike? Can you hike it? Can you hunt it? Because really the unit might as well just been 10% public land and the access point that we hunted because hell, you couldn't access it. So, I mean, we were only accessing, you know, a couple percent of the unit anyways. 
where we got so fixated on 99% public land. Holy shit. We're going to have the whole area to hunt. We can hike and hunt wherever we want. Yeah. And it really kind of screwed us over in a certain sense where it's like, yeah, that's great. But can you even access that point? That's definitely something that we really overlooked. Yeah. I mean, when I was, when I was looking at it pre trip, um, the top of the unit, um, we can't, you know, you can use weather as an excuse all you want, but at the same time, we can't use that as an excuse. Um, I guess I was just tunnel visioned on the road access on the top of the unit Yep. where we got there and we were like, holy crap, we can't hunt any of this because it had, it had that much snow. Yep. So that was a, that was a pretty big hit. Um, but like Ethan said, really, that would be a big piece of advice. Really focus in on that, um, access to the unit. And I mean, like he said, he hit it, he hit the head on the nail. Um, it might as well have been 5% public, 10% public, because that's what we were able to access on foot. And that's what everybody else is also able to access. So, you know, like, you know, the deer that maybe would have been there all maybe got pushed to even the deeper in the back country where nobody was accessing because, you know, now we have one access point that everybody can access. So instead of maybe only being two people, there's, you know, 15, 20 people that are accessing that point. So it just puts a lot more pressure on the wildlife. Yep. Pushing them into those deeper areas that, cause there weren't, there weren't very many trails through that wilderness. No, a lot of it was, and I can see why. Yeah. I mean, it was so steep. I don't know how you put a trail through there. No wonder it's all public land. I don't know who would ever want to build a cabin there. Yeah. Because I mean, you build a cabin, you'd have to knock over a lot of mountain to get a flat spot. So yeah, another point that I think we learned was, this kind of goes back to the wall tent camping was, I don't know about you, but I got really good sleep in that wall tent. I got super good sleep. Super good sleep. Super good food, super comfy, super, you know, able to move around, able to stay dry mostly. Uh, but it kind of has its limitations in the sense that, okay, you're able to get a good night's sleep, but we have to hike in farther. Yeah. Or we take, or we're hiking more than we're hunting because of that wall tent. Yeah. That goes hand in hand with like road access. Yep. Wall tent. Um, for those who, who don't know, um, if you can get a, get in the truck and maybe drive a couple of miles to a couple of miles each way, you know, like, Oh, we're going to check out this spot and then we're going to check out this spot. And obviously weather, um, determines that, but, um, that's where a wall tent shines in my opinion. Yep. And I think, you know, it's one of those things like, like I said, that sleep was really nice, but I don't know about you. I would have sacrificed a couple hours of sleep to being able to have better access or a better hunt. Yeah, I would have too. Because, you know, it's only a short period of time. So I think, you know, that's one thing we got to kind of step outside our comfort zone and be like, okay, you know, it's going to suck, but we got to embrace that suck to make sure to get to our end goal, I guess. Here's what I think about it. Everyone can say, anybody who has never gone can say, oh, why didn't you just hike in and camp? Yeah, I mean, if that was, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. I mean, you get out there, it is pretty nerve wracking for the first time. Now that we've done it, you know, it's not that nerve wracking. The first time we went to Colorado, 
I was nervous and a little scared of like what was going to happen, how it was going to go. I've never, ever done that before. Yeah. So that's where I kind of stand on it is that it is, it's not that easy. Um, it takes, obviously it takes gear, but you just got to be willing to do it. Like Ethan said, you got to be willing to sacrifice maybe a couple hours of sleep or being a little cold. And I know everyone says that and it's easier said than done. I mean, even talking now, it's easier said than done, yeah. but that's what it takes. And, you know, I think the biggest thing, you know, Tyler and I are both really goal oriented people. And for us to go on these two Western hunts and not fill a tag, like I just looked at my tag today and it's like, it's something I want to keep and it's going to kind of haunt me because it's like, I didn't fill that tag. Yeah. But like you said, and we talked on the way home, filling a tag is not the only indicator of success. You know, if we were hunting for 20 years, maybe it would be. Yeah. But like, I look at it as like, we got to take our victories and where we can like, okay, we went and tried it. You know, how many people don't even ever go on a hunt like that? Yeah. How many people don't even try? Um, you know, we learned our limitations of our gear, our hiking ability. Hey, we got to get more physically fit if we want to hunt everywhere in the lower 48. Definitely. Hey, we got to get a little bit better gear so we can spike camp. We got to get more comfortable with our gear so we feel comfortable spike camping. We got to get a little bit better at e-scouting and picking units to have an opportunity to harvest. Yeah. And I don't think if we don't go on some of these hunts, like Tyler said, we don't ever learn that lesson. And it's almost like if we would have had success these past years, I feel like we would have never learned these hard lessons that is hopefully going to propel us to more success in the future as years come. I mean, there is no picture perfect hunt. No. In my opinion. You look at Meat Eater, Randy Newberg, Remy Warren, um, Ryan Cal, all those. Uh, I'm definitely leaving out a lot of names. All those guys. Badass. I mean, it takes a will to hunt to want to do it every day. And I want to do it every day. I wish I could do it every day. But, you know, none of it's easy. It's not you show up and pull the trigger, maybe like some episodes portray it out to be. I mean, you got to get there first. Well, once you get there, you got to figure it out. Well, that, that's the biggest thing is like, okay, first of all, get there, get to the spot where you can even hunt and then find an animal you can hunt and then get to the animal to have a shooting position at that animal. Like, I feel like there's just a huge disconnect as far as Western hunting goes, where it's like, you almost have such a misconstrued conception until you go because that's what I thought. I mean, it's like, there's so many factors that you don't consider until you go. And then once you go, you're like, Holy shit. Like it was hard to get here. I couldn't imagine if I saw a deer, what I would even do because getting to that deer would be hard on a stock. Getting a shot at that deer would be hard. Successfully shooting that deer would be hard. And then harvesting that deer and packing it out would be hard. So like, I don't see an easy point of this hunt. No. And I guess, you know, watching those episodes, it just shows like, yeah, they might say it's tough, but like until you're there doing it, you don't realize how tough it is and you don't realize how tough the whole ordeal is. And you don't realize how tough it is to put it all together. That's what's missing. And I don't blame them for missing that. If, if you stuck, put in all that information on all those hunts, it'd be a 20, 40 hour video. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all that. And really, even if they did put it in, me or you watching it would not even comprehend how like hard it is to no. hike up whatever mountain they're on. Yep. 
I mean, that's the, the point I'm trying to make is boots on the ground. Best way to learn. Yep. And yeah, I think that and it just goes back to like, you know, like we didn't fill a tag, but we were also successful in the sense that we went and tried. And I think that's what I'm always going to hang my hat on. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, if anybody wants to say anything about it, I'll just be like, all right, you go there and shoot a deer. And then you tell me how easy it is. I mean, hey, if you go shoot a deer, I'll give you big props in that unit. Yeah. But like, until you do, don't say anything about what I just did. Oh, 100%. And I mean, that's just not tooting their horn. That's just yeah to the general public, yeah. I'd like to say. So I think, you know, another thing we learned was like, when you are hiking in that super crazy terrain, you really have to do be conscientious of like what you're bringing. And I think, you know, you always learn this after your first day. But, you know, Tyler and I knew we were going to be close together the whole time we were hunting. So we kind of just, you know, empties our gear out in the wall tent. And we're like, hey, are you bringing a med kit? Okay, I don't need to bring a med kit. Hey, are you bringing your kill kit? Okay, well, let's just put this in your kill kit and we'll just carry one kill kit. And I think that was kind of like a big thing that I learned. It's like, yeah, there's no reason I guess we both need four knives or whatever, I guess. Because... I don't know about you, Ethan, but it was always talked about like all the videos I watched. Like I watched a Newberg pack dump and he goes, oh, if your buddy's bringing a kill kit, don't bring a kill kit. And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. But like once it becomes into practice, it took for that day where we're like, gosh, this is going to be an intense hunt. And then we're like, absolute bare minimum. What do we need? Yeah. That's what it took to figure that stuff out. And, you know, I understand because of the fact that like, Hey, I'm comfortable with this gear. You're comfortable with that gear. And then there takes a certain level of trust to be like, let's just combine our gear in the sense that we're each comfortable with it. Yep. So, and you know, that's something I guess I wish I would have had is something to just to weigh our packs to be like, okay, this is even, but I mean, like you said, we were a lot lighter and smarter. Like we both didn't need to be bringing all that stuff on top of the mountain. No. Cause I'd like to say Colorado, we were pretty spoiled because, I mean, Idaho, we were traveling so far vertically um, than we were Colorado um, that it just, it didn't matter as much, I'd like to say. I shouldn't say that, but that's what it felt like. I mean, I felt so much lighter the second day when we dumped all that stuff. And I know people are like, oh, well, you could just lose five pounds or this and that, but it is a big difference when you put it on your back and you're walking up a mountain and just from a physics perspective that wants to pull you back. So you have extra force working against you. Yeah. So like a five pound difference in your pack or even a couple pound difference, you know, two to three, it's like you really feel a lot lighter and you feel like you can be like, okay, I can move a little faster up that mountain now. Yeah. So that was a big lesson learned Yeah. that we need to, if you're going out with a buddy, just be smart. You know, if, He's carrying something. If he's carrying a water purifier, you know, you both got a steri pen. I mean, really, if you're going to be hiking together, why do you both need a steri pen? You know, you can just use one. And especially, I'll say this too, like we were day hiking, like, you know, we were always going to go back to the truck. And really, even if you're backpacking to a certain extent, the truck's really never that far away. Where something really bad happened. Yeah, it would suck to pull out and have to go get it. But you could. Yeah. Like, it's not like we're, you know, I think a lot of people aren't really flying into the bush in Alaska. If you're flying into the bush in Alaska, I'd say, yeah, bring all that shit. Cause like, <laughs> yeah. it's very well that your buddy could totally, 
you know, break his dairy pen or whatever, but yeah. So under circumstances, like we have explained, um, just share the load. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I guess I was always like naive and I thought I was maybe a badass because of this. And, you know, it might be stupid for what people say, but I always thought using pack animals, like we're kind of above that, I guess, to a certain extent. I was like, I'll never use a pack animal. Like, oh, just pack in and whatever I can pack in and go as far as I can. Yeah. But like, I see like why you hunt in some of these areas. It's like, okay, I could understand pack animals now. Yeah. I mean, Idaho is one of those areas. I'd, I'd go back like spike camp in, but don't get me wrong. If I could have a pack llama or, um, had a mule or a horse. Oh, I would much rather do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, there's definitely a time and a place for those. I can understand why you won't want them on every hunt and why they're kind of a hindrance because of the fact of if we had a trailer them out there, we had to worry about feed. You know, there's a lot that extra that goes along with managing another pack animal. But, you know, for some of that stuff, it's almost like you need it. Yeah. Otherwise, it really becomes a close to impossible hunt. Oh, definitely. You know, there's one thing I'll say, too, as far as like, you know, it's easy to say now, but when you're in those situations, when you're on top of a mountain in really remote country, there's a lot of things that can go bad pretty quick. Yeah. I think the biggest thing, and maybe we just haven't had enough experience, but I would just say like what we did was good, but I would just say like being smart on the mountain and really thinking about safety a lot of the time, it does matter a lot. Yeah. Cause watching Watching that guy slide down face first down the mountain, like he's lucky he stopped because if he started tumbling, he would have been dead. Right. I, I honestly thought like I might see a death here. Right. Like that's no joke. And I was like, whoa, you know, like we are on top of a mountain, you know, steep, steep mountain. Um, you know, we got to be more conscious about our safety. And I think that kind of gets overlooked within all the hunting. I mean, you're looking for a deer, you're looking for a deer, elk, moose, sheep, whatever the hell you're hunting, you know, at the same time, you want to be able to come home. Yep. I think that just, I mean, from our perspective, I think that sometimes it gets a little overlooked. Yeah. And you know, it's one of those things like, you know, that guy that fell, there's a lot of people around that could help that situation. But I just kind of think like the point what if it would have been just me and Ty back there and one of us would have felt like that and we would have really seriously got hurt, man, we could have really gotten a jam. Yeah. And I just think that like knowing your personal limitations and even like knowing how far a guy should go, because that's one thing, you know, that day, how many, I mean, we hiked like what was it eight hours or something crazy like that? Yeah. I mean, if we would have went much farther, it would have literally got to the point of on safety just from the fact of what time we got back. And, you know, especially hiking in the dark, you really throw a lot of possibilities in there that could oh, end yeah. really badly. Yep. So I think, you know, we just had to be smart, especially, you know, even with snow too, it's like, I didn't want to get snowed in there and have to like wait a couple of days to get plowed out. I don't know if you know when a plow comes down some of those roads. I have no idea. And I don't know, like, you know, what happens if, uh, you know, we had a, well, our wall tent, that was another issue. We didn't have a tarp pitch over our wall tent. Well, okay, take that back. We saw some guys doing that. Yeah. And we're like driving around. We're like, 
I wonder why he's doing that. Yep. But I mean, you can continue. I mean, we figured that out. Yeah. Cause I mean, the last night we got some really, so basically there was some heavy snow coming down and we were at a lower elevation. So it was a little warmer down there. So the snow that was hitting was just about melting as well as we had a wood stove burning. So it created a lot of heat. So the, basically the snow would hit the top of the wall and about melt instantly. And there was so much water sitting on top that it would sneak seep in through the wall tent basically. Yeah. And this, and we also created a lot of condensation, just the amount of heat we were generating. Yep. So basically at the last night we were there, we were getting rained on their sleeping bags. Oh yeah. I mean like was, everything was, was getting bad. wet. So that was one thing to, I guess, think about as well, as far as like, man, like we could have really used a tarp there. So yeah, definitely a lesson to be learned is, Carry a tarp if you're Walton camping too. Yeah, because I don't know if we would have stayed another day. Who knows? You know that snow was so heavy. Who knows if our Walton would even even been standing? Yeah, exactly. And um, we couldn't even get up the mountain that day because of the fact of how much snow there was, and there was a really heavy. It was blowing so hard we wouldn't have been able to glass anything. It was just it was a shit day, basically. So <laughs> it was a shit day. I mean, even like. I mean, you met that one guide at the bathroom. Yeah. They weren't even going up. Yeah, they weren't going up just because the horse's hooves would get too packed full of snow and it was unsafe for them to go up. But yeah, I mean, that's just another thing, I guess, you know, as far as like a lesson learned, you know, I could see why a lot of people like the late season hunting. I mean, yeah, I mean, in theory, the deer and elk move a lot more because it's cold. They need to move more for food. They're not going to bed down so much during the day. Cause they need to get up, burn energy, warm up, whatever. Well, if you're going to late season hunt, it does bring a lot of extra concerns, I guess, forward. Yeah. Where you maybe don't have those if you're archery hunting in September. Yeah, definitely. I think there's just a lot of safety concerns that a guy has to think about as well in that regard and snow and weather. So, I mean, you, you really have the possibility of losing a lot of days of hunting. Cause let's say if that snow, that storm would have lasted two days, Heck, that's two days of hunting we just lost. And yeah, we literally can't do anything about and it. And we're coming all the way from Iowa and, you know, we yeah. don't give very many days. Yep. So I think, you know, that's one thing you're like, yeah, I want to hunt the late season because of more opportunities, but maybe the opportunities you get are limited because of the fact that of the weather and the access you have. So yeah. I think that's something definitely to consider too. But, you know, uh, like I've told you before, Ethan, I don't think in 20 years down the road that we'll be looking back. Oh, remember that Idaho trip? And God, I wish I never would have spent money on that. No. I don't think I'll ever say that. No, exactly. And, you know, the stories that come out of it and the lessons that are learned are, are priceless to me. So. So what I'm trying to say is, you know, for you guys listening. Um, whatever it is, you know, maybe it's not Western hunting, you know, whatever trip it is, just, just do it. You know, I, I don't take back any memory that we have from any of those two trips. Yep. And I mean, not only those two trips, little fly fishing trips that we go on. I mean, there's more that we don't put on this podcast, but, um, I guess that's a part of our message is maybe to drive some of you people to step out of your comfort zone like we are and just try it. 
Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, I guess, um, in the sense of like success too, uh, is not the only indicator to tag. Like, I think even if I would have shot a big mule deer, yeah, it would have been a great memory. But I don't know if any better memory gets than just like sitting on top of the ridge in class and like with one of your best buddies. Yeah. And just chuckling and making jokes and thinking and looking at each other like, yeah. holy shit, that was hard. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, I'll always think about that. Possibly even more if we would have shot a big mule deer, I guess. You know, if like I'm sitting oh. on my deathbed. Definitely. I'm like, oh shit, that was a funny story. You know? Yeah. Or like, I look back and like, I think more, I think it would almost resonate more to hear like a crazy story like those guides that we ran into than if we would have shot a big mule deer. Don't get me wrong. I would have loved to shoot a big mule deer. Yeah. But I think it's just like the stories that you get and the experiences you get are pretty priceless. Yeah. That's, that's definitely what I value because I don't know. I just kind of want to be old and gray and no matter if one person wants to hear about it, I want to tell one person that story. Yep. So I think, you know, as far as like gear goes, I know one thing, I guess both Tyler and I really recognized was like, we need a way better hot tent setup as far as like spike camping in. Yeah. And and what we kind of determined, um, hats off to the guys that go in the back country and they're doing this solo. Yeah. Cause that's pretty freaking crazy. Yep. But I think what we kind of mutually agreed on is if we're like spike camping, hiking five miles in, setting up camp, whatever. Um, we're probably going to split the load on like our tent setup. Yep. So we kind of agreed on, I don't know. What do you think? Two person hot tent and one person carry the tent, one person carry the stove, something like that. Yeah. I think that would probably be the best bet. And I think that would, uh, not saying it would have made us successful on this hunt, but it definitely would have opened up a lot more country for us to hunt. Oh, definitely. And going forward, it will open up a lot more country for us to hunt. And you know, it's one of those things, um, the wall tent's super nice, but it is a pain to set up. Yeah. It's just, it's a big process and it's super comfortable once it's set up, but the pain where maybe if we would have had that, even if we were road hunting, it'd just be something easy, quick set up, get in, you know, camp for the night. So, yeah. Um, I do want to touch on a couple of pieces of gear tie that we did use on the hunt for the first time. Um, give a couple of kind of thoughts about that. I don't know if you have any other additional gear, but the first thing that we both had, and I thought I wouldn't go on a hunt without it now would definitely be a gunsling, um, oh. specifically like the one or a gun bear, I guess they call them. We both have mystery ranch packs. Um, to my knowledge, I don't, I tried contacting Mystery Ranch, never got a call back from him. Yeah, gosh, that's pretty odd. Nothing, nothing knocking against company. I love the pack. Oh, the packs are great. But I tried asking them, like, you know, what do you recommend for like a gun bear? Because I want to carry the gun on the back of my pack. And what kind of product would you recommend? And we kind of settled on the cute gunslinger. But last year, I didn't carry a rifle in Colorado, but. What do you think about how you carried a rifle last year in Colorado and how you did it? Well, yeah, I just carried it on the side of the pack, I guess, for you people who have packs. Um, in a side pocket. It's kind of, best way I could describe it as is like a, yeah, side pocket for, I don't know, it fits your Nalgene perfect. Yep. Um, but I carried it in there. Th- my opinion of it is the whole time I was hiking, you know, I don't know, my rifle weighed. I'm just going to take a guess probably maybe like 10 pounds or yep. eight or 10 pounds, something like that. 
but you know, that's 10 pounds to the right side or the left side, whatever side I was carrying it on. And you just felt unbalanced and it felt like I was just like leaning to my right side the whole time where this Kuyu sling, um, right to the back of our pack and it really spread the load out. Yeah. Um, just as well as everything else in your pack. I mean, it felt like it wasn't even there. Yeah. There was a couple of times I had to reach back there just to be like, is my gun there? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I would say that was definitely, uh, definitely a good get. And I definitely think that because there was no time that we would have really had a position, even on those elk that we saw that had a shot opportunity on those that we didn't have a tag for that. I really would have liked, cause I still would have had to get like ear protection out and everything. Yeah. I know some guys like to carry it like on a sling or whatever. Yeah. But I love the fact that it was secured in my pack really tight. wasn't flopped around at all. And I didn't even notice it was there. Cause really, if I get into a spot where obviously you just get lucky and you run into something, but nobody can plan that. Yeah. I mean, if I get into a spot where it's just like, all right, you know, the elk are right up here. I saw the deer right up here the day before or something like that. Okay. Take off your rifle off your pack and, you know, shoulder it with your rifle sling or something like that. Yep. You know, I really don't see a scenario where you need to like pistol whip it out of your pack or something and shoot this deer. Yep. I think that was definitely a gear piece that I would, I mean, it was pretty cheap. I think it was like what, 30 bucks, 40 bucks, whatever. No, I think it was like 20 bucks. Oh, that's it. So yeah, 20 bucks. I was like, that really changed the game Maybe for me. Maybe with shipping. But yeah. Yeah. So I would definitely really recommend on one of those, I guess. I mean, that's just an, for me, that's just a no brainer, you know, piece of equipment that you need to have. Yeah. I was actually going to try to make one for both of us, but I couldn't believe how cheap they sold it for. Yeah. Like I couldn't, I couldn't make one that cheap. Yep. So, and then that's the thing is too, I guess, uh, maybe we should make a video, but I guess, I haven't ever seen a video where someone shows like how it is like able to hook up to a, a mystery ranch pack. No, because I guess that was my biggest concern with buying something like that was like, we have a mystery ranch pack and we're using a Kuyi product. Will it even work? But it, yeah. it worked. Okay. So no, it worked fine. Yep. I really, I really enjoy it and definitely keep it on there for a very long time. Um, so this is one thing I guess that I kind of struggled with last year when I packed and I don't know how you felt about it, but there's these couple things that are just pullouts and they seem really simple. Yeah. And I know people are like, Oh, why won't you just use a Ziploc or something? But basically what it is, is a bag with a zipper down the middle and they're called like pullouts. So I had Kafaru pull out and then you had marsupial pullouts. Yep. I definitely would not go on a hunt without those again. No. And I, you know, brand to brand, whatever you go with, I think it's going to be fine. But I mean that just that design, um, it felt like it felt like my pack was that much more organized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't words can't describe it. I guess, you know, last year we just had Ziplocs, kind of just of random stuff. Now I was like, okay, here's my kill kit. Here's my, you know, kind of miscellaneous. Here's my lens cleaning glassing kit. And I was just able to put it in a more organized fashion that I guess it just made sense in my head. Yeah. Where I was like, okay, pull this one out. This one's what food in here. Yeah. Okay. Or all, all right, right. kill kit in here. You know, it just made a lot more sense. So, yep. Um, that's something I wouldn't go without. And there was something, I guess, both you never expect rain until it happens. And one thing I would say that we both wish we would have had is probably a waterproof pack cover. 
Yeah, because I was I was using a contractor's bag. I know people do it, and it worked. It worked fine. It worked good, but I don't know. It just it just would be much more simpler if you'd get a cheap pack cover just to throw over quick. Yeah, and it's one of those things like I don't know about how easy was it? was it easy to take that contractor's bag off if you wanted to get into your bag. No, I would rather. Once I got it on, I just wish it would, <laughs> I never had to get in my pack because it was kind of hard, like adjusting it. So it fit just right. And it like, cause you know, it doesn't have the elastic. It doesn't just fit on there. You kind of got to make it fit on there. Yep. And then my fiance, Sydney has a waterproof pack cover and I've seen, I mean, they're super lightweight, super small. It's like, it was almost to the point where Tyler and I were just being cheap or thinking that we didn't need it. Yeah. We didn't have it. So I guess. That's one thing I'd probably always keep my pack from now on is just something It's basically what it is. Just an elastic thing. That's waterproof that slides over your pack. Cause I'll always carry a, a contractor bag. So I think it's a pretty lightweight, cheap thing to bring along and it can serve so many different purposes, but nah, yeah, just get a waterproof uh, cover. Yeah. I think they're cheap ones. I mean, you can get name brand, but I think cheap ones for like 10 bucks on Amazon or it, something. Yeah, exactly. Um, there was, Something I guess on our last Colorado hunt, I had a Garmin and Tyler didn't have anything. And I know like once he got home, his first thing was like, I need a satellite communicator. Yeah. I got bought one that week. Yeah. So you bought a Zolio. So I'll let you talk about the Zolio and then I'll kind of go to the Garmin and there's kind of the differences we saw with that. Um, basically from what I, from what I get from it, I'm, I mean, you got to make your own opinion about it, but um, Zolio, you can, they're awesome. You can find them on sale for pretty cheap. I think like one fifty right now, especially. Um, it's getting close to Black Friday, so they're already running deals. One fifty, you can pick one up for. I mean, that's super. That's pretty inexpensive for something that could potentially save your life. Um, and the plans for it though, they seem kind of spendy. And when I say spendy, um, us from Iowa, you know, we're not going to be using it all year round. For me, month out of the year, I'm not even a month. I mean, that's just what I'm paying for. But they, you get locked in for a three month plan. So you have to pay three months and then you have to pay a $20 activation fee. Um, and okay, my month's up. I already went hunting. Now I don't really need to be paying for the monthly fee to keep your. So it generates a phone number for you. If you want to keep that phone number, you got to pay a $4 a month fee. And yeah, it doesn't sound like much, but um, I'll let you talk about the Garmin plan. But um, if you like to text, Zolio is the way to go. I think it's 35 bucks a month for 250 messages, custom messages. I mean, you, you only get so many words, but. That's a lot of text. Plus, um, I didn't mention this. Weather check-ins count as a message. Um, just regular check-ins count as a message. You receiving a message from somebody else counts as a message, um, which I think that's pretty standard among every device. But um, basically what I got from it is everything counts as a message. Yep. So yeah, to the Garmin, it is a little more expensive to get into it. I think I got mine for two fifty on sale. Uh, as far as like GPS strength, I think we both kind of had the same. Where it was like, yeah, you know, a little lag here because we were pretty remote. 
So I guess, you know, that wasn't, there wasn't like a clear indicator in there. Um, and I think like Tyra said, it is all up to like personal preference. Um, with like Zolio, you have to have the app to use it. Where like Garmin, yeah. you can use it without the app. So if my phone were to be dead, I could use it. Yeah. Where, I mean, I think you can still hit SOS, right? Yeah, you could still hit SOS and you could still hit uh, check-in. Okay, yeah. So. So there is that, but I guess with the Garmin, if my phone were to be dead, I could still send a message and do weather check-ins. I guess that's a plus, I would say. Um, As far as pricing goes, it's $15 to activate it for the whole year. And then I can just activate it or deactivate it for each month I want to use it. So, like, you don't have to be locked into, like, three months like Zolio is. No. So, um, I use it a lot throughout the various of the year. And then my fiance uses it just for, like, a safety feature when she's kind of out west doing elopement photography. Um, So, that's kind of a thing that we kind of both use it. So, I kind of cancel it and resume it when we both, when we need it. Um, The one thing that's really nice about Garmin is it's unlimited preset messages. Yeah. So a lot of the time, like I text my mom and my fiance every time, every night. And I would just say like, there was a preset message, like um, I'm safe or whatever. And that's basically all I would send them. And I didn't I mean, like I didn't really want to text them more than that, where I yeah. guess like it's kind of just personal preference, but um, it was unlimited preset messages like that. So that was nice. But I guess like for me, having a Zolio, seeing you have the Garmin, I don't, I don't even text that much when I have service. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, I'm not a big texter, so it really doesn't make sense. Yeah. It costs a little more to get into, but really like after the three month lock-in, yeah, it's probably worth it for me to have a Garmin, which I think I'm going to move to in the future. Just because like I said, I don't like to text that much. And if we're out hunting, I should be hunting, not texting. Yeah. And you know, we were pretty exhausted by the end of the day. So it's like, I don't think you were like wanting to send a lot of messages to your girlfriend by any means by the end of the day. And especially when it takes 10 minutes to send, maybe even just send one, Yeah, not even receive. I mean, it takes a long time to receive a message. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean like how I was doing it, I was, I would send a message and I would just turn it off and I'd be like, I'll check it tomorrow. Like, yeah. I mean, I didn't really want to keep checking it all night. So um, that's the whole kind of garment. I think like you said, you kind of got to do your own research, but that's kind of just our each own opinion and kind of our experience with it. And I, I, it does offer kind of two different, um, customers, I guess, a different appeal. So, yeah, I guess yeah. it's kind of up to you, but I think to my opinion, I felt a lot safer knowing I had one and a lot felt a lot safer knowing you had one. Yeah, I no matter what you go with, um, Colorado, like Ethan said, we, I mean, we've definitely talked about this in past podcasts, but everyone who goes out west, I mean, if you guys are going on a party trip where y'all have tags, um, everyone, in my opinion, needs to have one yep. just in case you get separated or your buddy hikes a little faster or something, you know, even that just little separation. Um, it, I think it's very important. Hypothetically, your buddy goes rolling down the mountain yeah, and you're looking around for him like, Hey, where did he go? He broke a leg or something, you know, he, it's important, you know, he might have your satellite messaging device to lean back on, but he doesn't have it if he's on the bottom of a mountain. Yep. 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's, and, you know, mountain weather can change so quick where we got separated quite a bit when we were doing that, you know, crazy hike. Yeah. And it's like, you know, let's say a snowstorm blows in and we are both like stranded almost because we can't see or do anything. I mean, it would have been felt super nice if we could have communicated with each other and been like, hey, are you okay? Yeah. And it's not one. Of, and, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, I don't want you to waste energy to come after check on me. I don't have to waste energy to come check on you in the sense that no. where we could just send a quick message to each other. Just, I mean, I don't know what the preset messages are, but, you know, we both agree on, hey, we yeah. send this message. You know, it might totally be different, but like we agree on, all right, Ethan, I'm going to send you this exact message. That means I'm doing all right. Yep. You know, just check in with each other. That'd be kind of nice. So, yeah, I guess that's, you know, kind of ties back to safety, but I feel like that's definitely uh, something that you need to have. So, yeah, both people need to have it. That's, that's my opinion. Yep. Is there another year you got to discuss, Ty? Anything you wish you had or anything you had that you really liked or disliked or wish you'd improve uh, on? I wouldn't say it. I wouldn't say any new gear that I discovered. Um, I know we've talked about it in the past, but really like my setup right now. Yeah. Pretty warm, uh, pretty comfortable. I got a lot of layers. Actually, I didn't bring a lot of the layers that I have. Um, so... No, nothing to complain about, nothing to rave about. So, yeah, I'd say pretty much the same. I know, like, that one day we we're doing that crazy hike. I don't even know what temperature it was out, but it was pretty cold. But we were in pretty minimal gear. Like, yeah. it, like it, I was in a t shirt and a sick of quarter zip because, like, it was hot, like, hiking up and exerting all yeah. that energy. Super hot. So, I think, you know, that's uh, another podcast we could do, but, you know, kind of managing that is something that's tough. But I was happy with how all my gear performed is, you know, you go from hot to really cold. So it's a it's a tough thing to manage, but uh, probably do a podcast. And, but just like kind of how you manage that as far as how we managed it. But yeah, definitely. I guess that's kind of all I got for the podcast. You got anything additional you want to add about this haunt, Ty? No, that's all I have. I guess one thing I'll say is um, if you guys go out and you share the same experience, um, you know, uh, how we view it is. That was far from a fail. You know, that was a success in the matter of we would have, you know, if we did it again in four years, we're like, oh, let's go to Idaho. And we've never been there. We would have still been as shell shocked as we were the first time. Yep. So boots on the ground, go out and try it no matter what you're doing. Yep. Um, totally agree with that sentiment. And I guess that's all I got. Um, want to appreciate everybody for listening. Sorry for the kind of hiatus with not being able to post as much, but Tyler and I are back on the mic. Kind of got some other stuff figured out. So yeah, back on the mic, we've been pretty busy. So, um, just kind of, kind of some life changing events, um, between the two of us. So, um, we're more organized now back on the mic. I'm hoping to do more podcasts and share our adventures with you guys. Yep. So. Check out the Instagram, check out the podcast, share it with people and appreciate everybody listening. And yeah, thanks guys.